On today's Stuck In. Seeing red today as yet another American manager is unfairly treated and fired from his position in the Premier League, while Graham Potter is nice and cushy despite no results in however long and even with like a billion pounds of new guys in the transfer window. Must be nice to be a Brit. Go figure. Spend a good amount of time on that, plus a thorough domestic league roundup, and of course, plenty of hilarity out of Saudi Arabia for more than one reason. Well, anyways, we've got more ground to cover than Manchester City's accountants in the last 10 years, so without further ado, let's get stuck in. Soccer podcast. Today is Monday, February 6, 2023, and holy shit, things are turning up. Uh, and also, no, as a quick side out for all of you asking, we did not take a vow of podcast celibacy until Ronaldo finally opened his account uh, in the Saudi League, which he did, and obviously with a penalty. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, but we'll talk more about that later. Uh, we have a lot of other stuff to talk about. Um, and why don't we start with the latest of breaking news? Uh, our worst fears have come true. Uh, yet another American manager not given a fair shake in the Premier League and sacks for being unlucky and for things that are entirely out of his control uh, and no American bias there whatsoever, obviously. Uh, but yes, Jesse Marsh was sacked uh, this morning by the Leeds United board. Uh, and God damn it, Jared, I am mad as hell. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll let you handle the the American anger side of it. But <laughs> it's, it really is a puzzling decision. Uh, you know, like like they hire Armis as an assistant coach, what, two, three weeks ago. Uh, that, that's barely happened. Uh, they, they signed a couple names in the in the transfer window, including Weston McKinney on deck, yeah. right, to try and shore up the midfield. And then they play one match after that. And then it, they play better than their opponents, right? They don't win. They, they lose to Nottingham Forest. But, I mean, they were probably the better team for most of the game, got a little unlucky, which has happened quite a bit, to be fair. And then he, he gets fired, and it's just – and. I guess this might have a little bit to do with Everton and we'll talk about them in a bit, but it's, it's, it's a little stunning. Unlike, unlike the Lampard firing where we're sitting there going for weeks going, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? This just seemed a little bizarrely timed given everything else going on. Yeah. And like, by all accounts, it, it seemed like, okay, the board was understanding 
uh, you know, a lot of injuries, you know, we need the, the, win- the January window and everything. Uh, and, and yeah, this comes as like a total shocker to me. Um, and yeah, I, everyone gets it. Like the Premier League is a results oriented league and, you know, you know, Chelsea's one extreme, but like in general, like if you're not winning games, you know, it, it's very unforgiving, like whether you're unlocked, unlucky or not, whether you have injuries or not, or, or even if stuff is totally out of your control, like if you're not winning, you know, the manager usually gets replaced or whatever, but yeah, this one just doesn't sit right with me. And, and yeah, there, there's a lot that has to do with that American bias. And, and I am pretty angry about that and half joking, you know, uh, spill the Bob Bradley thing and all that. But, um, but yeah, this one just didn't make sense. Like almost on like an objective level. Right. Exactly. And, and, Look, this is a team that spends about 17th most in the in the league in terms of like salaries and wage bill and and their net spend and everything else. And they are currently 17th and they are reaching the expectations, uh, you know, set out kind of by their their situation. And like, I understand they're a, a bigger name than, you know, historically than than Brentford or Bournemouth or, or a couple of these other teams. But nonetheless, they are in a situation where they are achieving about what they should and and they've been a little unlucky this year on top of it which means when the new manager bounce happens it's more like reversion to to kind of the mean than anything else and so it's it's probably going to happen and whether they stay up or not um you know if they stay up it'll be whoever the new coach is it'll be because that guy saved him and if they go down it's because you know marsh set him up to fail which is of course completely unfair given exactly what happened last year which is a team that was in the relegation zone more or less firing the beloved guy and he dragged them to safety and made sure they got another year of Premier League football and so there is a bit of unjustness to it uh but as you said it is a results oriented business and I think they saw again what happened with Everton and and them getting the win and realizing that you know they'd rather make this step one week too early than two weeks too late and 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 the short term, it might work out for them, but I, I don't really see this as necessarily being a long term good thing because uh, I think they're exactly where they're kind of supposed to be. Well, right. And, and you mentioned the Everton thing. And I, I think that's so like, you know, nearsighted and reactionary. Uh, and, and, but I guess, you know, we're all humans and we're fallible or, or whatever. But yeah, the, the, the message that they're sending and the decisions that they made are just so incongruent. Right. I mean, making those long term decisions like bringing on a Marsh appointment, like you're not doing that if you're sacking him in January or February. Right. You're not bringing in the Weston McKinney, who's obviously 100 percent like driven by Marsh to come to the club and then sacking him in January, February. And then guess what? They do like those things just don't fucking line up like any way you slice it. Right. It's, it's a decision made out of fear. And yeah. and I understand the fear because, again, you go down, it's it's uh, it's a big uh, financial disaster. But to your point, you should not let that fear uh, keep you from making good decisions. I think we see this in in anything in the world where there's a risk-based approach from the most important things like a like a government trying to figure out if a military strategy is the right to you know you play poker and you're like oh shoot if i call this bet i might lose well yeah but you know what it doesn't mean you don't have to make the right decision and sometimes that right decision might not end up the best might end up correctly quote unquote but it doesn't mean you don't do it and when you make wrong decisions uh, it is more likely you're going to have wrong outcomes at least for what you're going for and i think that this whether they they stay up or not i I don't think it takes away from the fact that i think it is a poor decision uh, objectively in terms of what they're trying to accomplish well yeah it it is a poor decision and it will lead to them going down but like you said you know everyone's gonna uh blame him for it somehow instead of the the new guy um which sucks but but let's tie this thing in now um to the bigger picture and what we care about um which is is, you know, the United States men's national team. And obviously we've documented the drama uh, that, you know, there's 
uh, obviously uh, a few new developments uh, since we last spoke and everything. And I, I think most people are, are hip to that. Um, but now how does this factor in? Be- because for me, and I think for a lot of people, and, and what we've said here on this podcast is that U.S. soccer is a fucking dumpster fire right now. It's a mass exodus, right? You've now got in, and this is actually the thing we didn't get a chance to talk about. Uh, what What's that like, um, uh, that like hiring group or sort of like, uh, you know, uh, um, consultancy group that they've brought in that like a bunch of teams have used or clubs have used in the past? Yeah, I don't remember the name of them, except they have a very shoddy record. So I think that's par for this course. I know that they were involved in like a couple like, I know the big one that people kind of trumpeted out was I think it was Colorado uh, made a couple coaching decisions using those guys and, and those coaching decisions bombed spectacularly. Yeah. So I don't really know. <laughs> don't really what, know. what I remember, the, there's a distinction like the stuff that this group has done in terms of like reorganizing your club and taking care of like internal stuff and organizational structural stuff like they're actually pretty good at that. But the one thing that they really suck at is the hiring of the leader or the executive or whatever part of, of their service that they provide. And that's literally what we need. And they suck at it. Yeah. I, I, it, look, like, <laughs> I just don't understand, like, why, why, if you're the president, of, if, and this is true for, by the way, the club game too, right? If you are hired as, as the, as the chief executive person from the soccer side of a, of a team, of an organization, of any of this stuff, and you need to hire a third party group just to give you the list of names that like, why are you in that job? Like we sit here and we're nobody and we can think of names of people that might be good. You listen to American soccer podcast, you read the articles, you read the journalists, guys are saying, Hey, here's a guy, here's a guy, here's a guy. Yeah. Why pay somebody to give you that same list for an interviews that you're going to do either way. Unless those guys are also deciding in the interviews, which I would be its own like absolute disaster. So I, I really don't understand why you need to pay a third party to give you a list that like anybody can give you for free. And it's going to have more or less the same names on it. It, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that one's weird. So, so anyways, so sorry, let, let's rewind here uh, very quickly. Right. So uh, Ernie Stewart, Brian McBride, they are gone. There's huge vacancies here in U.S. soccer and obviously still um, the head coaching job for the men's position. And, and right, we've brought in this consultancy firm. Uh, they've said it could take months, potentially even like a year or more um, to, to make their decisions or, or give their report and then start filling these positions. So we're going to be in this period of limbo, which you and I have, I mean, we've just beaten the dead horse on this one. The next hire like has to be some external temporary thing you cannot throw the guy that you want who by all intents and purposes and and as far as we're concerned probably should be jesse marsh into that position right now but i don't think they figured that marsh would get fired this early on and they could have had the temporary guy and then whenever marsh was sacked from leads or decided to move on or was the right time that would bring him in but now this just makes it even more tempting to bring jesse marsh in and i think if we do that it's it's a non-starter you're just setting him up for failure it's doomed from the start uh and then what do we do after that this is like a pivotal moment here jared uh, yeah, and I, and I should also add that a lot of U.S. soccer fans at this point really don't want Marsh to have the job. And and I know that Twitter fandom is is a very unique kind of thing where it's not always uh, the, the you know the 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 most nuances of takes. But I think at this point also there he's that that luster has dropped a bit. And, and I don't think right. that people think he should be fired, but also people do see him 
not as an extension of Burhalter in terms of, of his, his style or anything else, but in terms of his stubbornness and right that he wants to play his style and that we've seen him in a couple of times in club games be unwilling or unable to, to kind of to change it up. And people are worried that if he comes in with his with his form and his style, with his methodology and it doesn't necessarily work well, that like we're going to stuck that way too. And, and to your point, though, we have created this situation where it's so toxic every which way that you're not going to find somebody. I don't know what the fan base thinks. Like, I don't know who the fan, I don't know what the name is, what the logical realistic uh, person is that's going to do the job. But I do know to your point that that person is not looking at this job right now with any, anything other than nah, I'm good. And so I don't know how to fix it. I, I really don't. Obviously it's like hiring a guy tomorrow instead of six months from now, but seeing as that apparently is not what's going to happen. I, I don't know. It, it's, 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 there's no, you're in the middle of the house that's on fire and you're just looking at every exit and it's just, it's not there. <laughs> yeah. I, it's just a total clusterfuck and who knows how it's going to be cleaned up, but, but yeah, so right. You know, Jesse Marsh on the, on, on the heels of, of back-to-back sackings pretty much at this point, you know, two within uh, 18 months or so. And, but, but you do have to provide the context of, you know, why it didn't go well at uh, Leipzig and also why it didn't go well here at Leeds. I still think he's the best American coach. I, I, I don't know who's better than him. And, you know, you can convince me otherwise, but I still think he would be the best guy for the job. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I mean, is he the best guy for the job? Again, like in a, in a vacuum of like everybody available on the planet? No, he's probably not. Is he the best guy for the job that we could hire tomorrow? Or, you know, in six months, if he, if he decides to kind of take six months and, and not find another club job? Uh, yeah, he might be. Uh, so if that's, it, it, let me put it this way. If, if tomorrow we decide we're going to hire this guy, I don't think it's the worst thing that we could do, especially as opposed to, you know, waiting six months to possibly hire a guy who's no better. Uh, that said, I, I don't know that our ceiling becomes remarkably higher than it already is with him there. I guess I, I would put it that way, but you know, again, devil, you know, versus devil, you don't, I would probably take him tomorrow and, and chance it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see how that one uh, plays out. I, I would just feel so bad for the guy just chucked into that situation and then most likely inevitably failing at it, you know, for one reason or the other. And, and then it's like, Three in a row. It's like three strikes. You're out, man. I, I feel like his coaching career would just take a massive, massive hit for that, and and I don't think he deserves that. But right. uh, yeah, we will we will see. Um, Jared, why don't we just keep it here in the states? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but the Seattle Sounders won uh, the Concacaf uh, Champions League last year, which puts them in the Club World Cup this year. Uh, how, how, that was the first um, first MLS side to ever do that. Is that right? Oh uh, yeah, certainly under like kind of the the more modern version of the Club World Cup. Uh, there's been other various situations in the past, but yes, they are the first MLS team to do this. They are the first MLS team in some time to have won the uh, pretty much the you know whatever version of the Concacaf uh, Nations League or, or Concacaf Champions League, I should say, that exists at any given time. So yes, they are the they were. I just, I guess we can say at this point the first team to go uh, to play in it. <laughs> they they were right. Um, that leads us to our our next topic here, which is that the Seattle Sounders, uh, right, did participate in this uh, Club World Cup. Uh, you know, being that first MLS side uh, in, in the modern era, or whatever you want to call it, uh, but. Uh, cruelly beaten, uh, falling to Al Ali uh, 1-0 in the quarterfinals. Derek, can you can you give us a little bit of context to how this Club World Cup uh, actually happens? Um, like certain teams come into earlier rounds and then, you know, obviously UEFA Champions League is coming in a little bit later type of thing. 
Yeah, so it's it's kind of like there's there's uh, I guess what seven teams I believe involved, yeah. um, or is it seven or I don't even know anymore. I think it's seven teams, and it's one from each uh, the confederation champion of each of the six uh, you know continental uh, tournaments, and then there's a host nation uh, essentially as well in there. Or you know in this case I think there was it was a, an alternate one because Morocco's champion did win the, uh, the the CAF Champions League. But essentially it's just it's it's that little small little tournament. They yeah. add the European and the South American teams pretty much get a buy into the semis so they can uh, try and limit their involvement as little as possible. Then you, in the second round you usually have you know the Asian teams and the and the Concacaf teams uh, as long and the hosts as well. And then the first round will be like Oceania and Africa. And so that's uh, kind of what happens. Uh, Al Ali, which is an Egyptian team has actually been very very good in this tournament throughout the years they've been a regular participant and um it, this is a tournament that happens about four months into their season it's kind of like the perfect timing uh they got whereas of- mls has been done for like four months right the NFL's, the NFL's <laughs> season starts in about three weeks and he's got <laughs> camp for about three weeks and it's not and again this is not a measure of excuse because again every every continent's kind of you know, schedule works differently. And no matter where you put it, someone's going to kind of get the raw end. Uh, but you have a, a situation where I think that if you look at it really logically, it's a 50-50 matchup between Seattle and, and an Al-Ali, a team, again, that has, you know, a, a Egyptian national team players on their team, again, plays in, in that, you know, uh, African Champions League, which is no joke. Uh, Egypt, of course, did not make the World Cup, so you don't even have some of those guys that have been kind of off of that mental exhaustion, mm. uh, kind of that situation. And so, you know, it was a, uh, and by the way, Al-Ali also did play in that first round and had a game three days before, which I guess you could say arguably is a fatigue thing, but also at the same time, maybe gets them in a little bit of uh you know kind of a rhythm or something like that and so it's defeating auckland city three right so yeah so you have that situation and and you know a, a very late goal by al ali kind of a a fluky little goal it was a relatively even match al ali might have been you know a little bit better on the day but uh it, it was a step and seattle certainly didn't embarrass themselves if they would have won this game they would have played real madrid where they very easily might have embarrassed themselves so i guess you could say in a weird way you kind of get saved of of that you know kind of a disaster should it have happened. And, and in the meantime, it's... Well, hold on a second now, Jared. Look at Real Madrid's form, and we'll talk about him when we get to the roundup, but I don't know, man. Yes, that that negative, <laughs> that dip in form would have caused Christian Roldan to go running right and score a hat-trick. Uh, <laughs> certainly. Uh, yeah, uh, but right, so I'll ollie on to the semis against Real Madrid. Uh, I guess the uh, South American uh, champion, Flamengo from Brazil, uh, gets a bye into the semifinal as well, where they'll play all Hilal, uh, who won in a shootout against Wydad AC. Yeah, and that was a game where they actually uh, they equaled the match to go an extra time in the 94th minute from the spot, uh, which is, I guess, the exact opposite of home cooking uh, for the Casablanca side that was, you know, ostensibly the, the home team here. Yeah, look at that uh, pair of red cards, right? You got a penalty in the third minute of stoppage, and oh, that must have been a pretty wild one. Uh, crazy, and of course, uh, like being a good little tournament that they are, they don't stagger the start times enough, so actually that match finished uh, while the Seattle match was going on. So with a tournament with seven teams, they couldn't even manage to keep apart from each other. Uh, well, yeah, we've never faulted FIFA for being confident. So, uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but yeah, Jared, can, you want to take the opportunity as well while we're talking about American soccer and, and you, uh, you kind of mentioned it there, uh, but MLS is picking back up. Yeah, it is, uh, as I said, about three weeks away. Uh, preseasons have started. Obviously, the teams from from this half, our half of the country, tend to go to you know Arizona, California, Florida, get some matches in. Uh, if you, you go through all the teams, you can see a bunch of, uh, you know, friendlies against each other, kind of just warming up. 
And uh, they're, uh, the week passed. The new Apple TV deal has officially started. Uh, it is live. And I believe a lot of the content until the season starts might actually be free kind of for every, for anybody to kind of like kind of pick through a little bit. Uh, the, the week has mandated that each team produce X number of hours of content per season or they get fined. So no matter what team you kind of cheer for, if you do, you can always find, uh, you, know, you always find something. Uh, you know, that that's been produced by the team, uh, which, of course, makes it a little biased, but whatever. Some old cl- classic matches on there, some matches from last year. Uh, I got to watch. I watched some of the highlights of uh, the Red Bulls beating NYCFC 7 nothing a few years ago. Uh, that was always a good one. Forget yeah. that, uh, you know, David Villa was on the field for that one. And Frank Lampard, always good. Amazing. Uh, so, again, if you, have a, if you have a team that you like or you want to get into a team or maybe, uh, you know, maybe find a team that's close to you that you really haven't gotten invested in, I think that if you have the access to it and the ability, I think it's a, a cool way to maybe see some stuff and, and maybe start tickling your fancy a bit before the season starts. Yeah, just also uh, be sure to, along with your Apple Plus subscription, uh, buy some earplugs uh, for the games that Taylor Twelman will be calling, right? It, so is it like a national uh, thing? Like, is he calling, you know, like one game every week, you know, no matter where? Like, how, how does that all work? Yeah, they're, they're kind of following the, uh, the NFL model, for lack of a better term. Uh, there's going to be no real local broadcasters. Uh, so if you're a fan of a team, you won't hear the same voices every week like you're used to. But they did hire a, a whole bunch of guys who have uh, been in the past, you know, been local announcers for MLS teams. So you'll hear a bunch of these guys uh, that, you know, that whose voices you might be familiar with. Twelman, as you said, is, is another big name that they've added to. But yeah, I think you're going to kind of see it like the NFL where there's going to be like the A, B, the A, B, C, D team kind of deal, whatever the marquee match of the of the week that might be. You know, the, the Twelmans and the champions will go to, if, you know, if Seattle's playing Portland or, you know, Cincinnati, you know, an El Trafico or something like that. And then, you know, when it's like Cincinnati hosting, you know, Charlotte and nobody cares, you'll get like the, the seventh tier team or whatever. And they'll just kind of kind of like you would see on an NFL Sunday. So uh, it, it, it's an interesting thing. I don't know how much it will work, uh, but, you know, I think that if Apple... Uh, likes what's happening here i think they're going to be for a bigger sport and i think down the line it actually could pay dividends that they were kind of in on the ground floor and then when everyone's buying apple plus because you needed to watch you know nba or, or college football or, or whatever that sport is or maybe a bigger soccer league that oh wait i'm already here and now mls is here maybe i'll watch it so it could be a long-term win but i think in the short term i think it's gonna it's gonna be a struggle to get you know kind of those casual eyes to watch matches because you have to go out of your way to find it Ah, yeah, there you have it. Sort of like that, uh, that phenomenon you see like on, uh, you know, basic cable TV or whatever, you know, getting that time slot right after Seinfeld or whatever. And like, people are like, uh, okay, I just finished watching. All right, I'll watch this next thing too. You know? P- PBA bowling got decent ratings against the NFL because NFL countdown like ran in. Right, right. Oh, like shit. Like, oh, look at this guy like throw like, like, you know, weird in a weird formation or here's Pete Weber like doing a crotch shot. Like, oh, I'll watch this for like 10 or 15 minutes. It matters. And, you know, as, as funny as it was when I turned on, you know, HBO plus a couple weeks ago to watch or HBO max or whatever to watch the U.S. like January friendly where it's like, oh, it's like you can watch U.S. versus Serbia or like House of the Dragon. And that's going to be part of it. Right. It's going to be people logging onto the streaming service as they do on a regular basis and hoping that when they see instead of watching, you know, reality TV show A or a movie they've seen 20 times B that, oh, there's a live sporting event on. Let me check it out. And I just don't know that that's actually something that works. Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Uh, which, by the, speaking of HBO Max, just had to ax that one. Just like we, we looked at the budget and, and it's like, we got to get rid of like some of these. Like we just have so much and, and yeah every couple of months you get like a a u.s friendly or whatever but it's just not worth it anymore and like right. i've watched all watch the it, watch it spanish on peacock or whatever and then move yeah. on 
Yeah, exactly. Oh, and one more shout about that. Uh, I'm guessing uh, Twelman gets a huge uh, pay bump uh, with, with the Apple Plus thing, although apparently uh, not enough to power his house. Uh, th- how funny is that? Like to the traveling supporters, uh, our, our buddy um, is actually next door neighbors with Taylor Twelman uh, in, in Farmingham, Massachusetts, uh, or is it Framingham, whatever it is. And uh, and yeah, apparently he's got like four industrial size, like gas power generators, just like constantly humming on his property. So not, not enough of a pay raise to get a working power grid over there. In his defense, it was fucking freezing this weekend. So, you know, I'll give him a pass this weekend. But if it continues, then we have to make fun of him some more. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, And then uh, the last topic here uh, in the shocker of the century. uh, Some more late breaking news here. Uh, Manchester City have been charged uh, with multiple breaches of financial fair play, which inevitably uh, will amount to nothing and will carry on with our daily lives uh, as if it never happened. So, Jared, anything to say about that or what? The only thing I'll say is I'm not 100% sure this is the case for two reasons. There's two big differences, right? We had the one a couple of years ago where uh, they end up in front of the court of arbitration for sport and you got a bunch of stuff overturned. But there are two things about this that I actually might see them get the hammer uh, slapped down. Mm-hmm. One is that uh, because this is like an internal Premier League matter, uh, this cannot go to the court for arbitration for sport. A third oh, court okay. judgment. And like that judgment is pretty much going to be the law regardless. Uh, you know, there, there's going to be very limited appeals process. Yeah. And the other thing is that uh, unlike the European situation, there's no statute of limitations on this particular charge that they're facing. And part of the thing that got thrown out last time was that some of these things had happened, you know, after five uh, after five years, and it didn't matter anymore. That cannot happen here. They cannot hide behind, oh, this happened like 10 years ago. It doesn't matter. It will matter. Um, and I think the thing that they're going to get in the most trouble for, it, it's not going to be. Uh, financial fair play as we understand it in terms of spending a bajillion dollars on on players it's really going to be about those like those sponsorship deals where essentially uh you know they 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 would have other you know uh government-owned properties say oh yeah we're gonna you know we're gonna sponsor x y or z at a value of this and and being able to realistically look at something and say well there's no way that's worth that uh you know it's the you know, the halftime tweet presented by blank, 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 mm. getting like $30 million for it when obviously that's not a $30 million uh, kind of thing. And, and I think that if they get caught there, uh, it, there's going to be really no way around it. It's, it's not going to necessarily be a sporting thing. It's going to be like a business side thing, but you could still see, uh, you know, the, the, the well, either way, there's going to be probably a monumental fine involved regardless of what they find. Uh, and then of course you get into your, your point penalties and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I, that relegation is a potential consequence, but of course, extremely unlikely. Uh, you wouldn't be surprised if they get a, a deduction at some point near the end of the season where it gives them like just enough of a deduction to not make the Champions League the next year. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if you saw something like that, just as like that's their way of getting the pound of flesh. Uh, so I do actually think there will be some noticeable enough punishment for this, but I don't think it's going to be uh it's gonna it's gonna please nobody because city fans are gonna feel like the victim and people who really hate city are not gonna think it's gonna be severe enough uh right although i have heard inklings and i'll paraphrase the uh uh, the athletic article in a second here um but that it it could potentially be draconian uh punishments and like you said you know there's really no one to appeal to so like if there was ever a chance for FFP to actually be enforced uh, and against Manchester City, this would be the time. Yeah, this this would be it. And again, 
at the end of the day, though, like I understand that they they want to hurt them in some way, but I also think that if you go full like to the full extent of it, it's like I think the Premier League probably looks at that situation and goes, you know, is it really for the best for us if we go all the way with it? I think you need to hit them hard enough that you you don't do it again. But I think that if you go too too far with it, it just because then you really do have to turn around and look at every other team and and now scrutinize what every single team does down to like the actual nitty gritty. And we know that you know even though City's probably the most extreme case. Uh, you know, it's 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 they're not the only ones that are fudging this, that, and the other thing. And and right. you might be ready to to really go through with punishing your the entire top half of your league. You have to be careful about how you punish them in this case to make sure that it kind of stays contained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and right, real quick, just to close the loop on that, to paraphrase the athletic article, um, yeah, some independent commission uh, found a series of breaches uh, from 2009 to 2018, uh, not providing accurate financial information, uh, not fully disclosing managerial remuneration uh, when Mancini was in charge, uh, and then, yeah, br- uh, breaching rules on, on profit and sustainability in multiple uh, years, uh, plus not following UEFA's regulations as well, club license. All that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, uh, they, they could potentially throw the book at them. We will keep our eyes peeled uh, and our ears open and obviously report back as the greatest soccer podcast in the history of the world. Uh, but, Jared, I think it is time to move on because uh, there was uh, some domestic league play this weekend. Uh, and, yeah, you and I should talk about it. So let's get cracking on that straight away, uh, as we are wont to do uh, as an Anglophilic podcast. Let's kick it off with the Premier League. Uh, talk about the biggest new manager bump of all time. Uh, Sean Dyche, uh, obviously hired by Everton to right the ship, avoid relegation. Uh, and they came out firing. I, I guess it worked, Jared. You know, he, he outlawed, uh, you know, pants and, and beanies in, in training. And, and, you know, they turn around and beat the league leaders. Arsenal, uh, 1-0. God, I hate when that shit happens. I know. <laughs> it's like the dumb. Because it's going to be validated now. Like now, every manager. Oh well, all I got to do is just fucking outlaw beanies at training. Boom! Now I can win. I don't care if it's negative fifteen Celsius that we're wearing. We're not. We're we're wearing shorts today. Like, uh, <laughs> I see. Uh, yeah, no. Like, I I think that there was a healthy uh, kind of fear. I think in Arsenal fans when Dyche was appointed, knowing that that was the first match, right? Oh, I, it was, I it was legitimately. It. I like, knew oh, this shit was going down. Right? You kind of knew this was going to happen, and, and it was you know for Arsenal it was very unfortunate that they were the wrong team in the wrong days, as, as it were. Uh, yeah, look, this was always going to happen, right? This is a vintage Sean Dyche thing, right? I'm going to take over this team. I'm going to go full drill sergeant and like, we're going to beat some team. We have absolutely no business beating. And to his credit, look, they looked about as good as they've looked, you know, all season, I suppose you could say, like, right. And and obviously they were still, you know, the the possession was still one-sided, but they were able to defend pretty well. Uh, They kind of got out of like some of the, the five back stuff that they had done very often or kind of had fallen into a bit. uh, And actually pressing at times. And that that took us by surprise, honestly. Yeah, no, like again, if you defend with the entire field, right, it makes it harder. And I understand that the risk is, is that you're going to get, uh, you know, maybe you're going to get beat a couple times and they're going to hit you on a counter. But if you try and bunker against a team like Arsenal, which has been defeating those kind of defenses all year, you're going to lose that game eventually. So as you said, throwing a little wrinkle in, trying to turn them over a bit much, trying to make sure that a lot of the possession was more in their own half and not, you know, constantly within 30 yards of your box for more of the game, then you limit the number of chances and you have a better shot. Uh, you know, you kind of get your random goal off your set piece, right? You're never going to break them down in the run of play. So you have to rely on that and you get it and you, you just kind of lock it down. 
down and you you foul hard, you take some yellow cards in the meantime, and and all of a sudden again, everyone's saying there's no chance Everton gets relegated because of one thing, and and it's, it's not like I say it's it's definitely true, but it's hard to argue against it because again, Dyche has the reputation of being able to to kind of have that kind of success. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so all you can do is tip your hat to him and and good on you. Uh, I mean, they'll, they'll probably stay up now at this point, probably swapping spots with uh, with Leeds, I would imagine. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, good on him. We we were flat. We we weren't focused. I I do love. Uh, speaking of love, um, Arteta coming out after the game, and I, I just thought it was a perfect response. Uh, you know, these guys are human. You know, we all make mistakes. We're, we're not on it uh, 100% every single game. And, and he's like, I actually love them even more uh, after this, and, and we're just going to keep cracking on. And I think that's exactly the approach. Like, it could be so easy to, like, let your head down and and get super negative and pessimistic about this but uh you know and not to mention as we'll talk about next here uh it, it also helps that that your biggest competitors uh lost as well but but i i think you know we're still on path still on track uh to win the title uh and just need to you know keep our heads up stay positive that's all yeah look again you have to you have to take it as the i don't want to say fluke because fluke's not the right word but again for the for the you know unfortunate timing of a firing kind of gone against you you have a home match against brentford uh you know is your next league match uh, over the weekend and again not that Brentford hasn't been a good team this year but again you're at home against a team that you're you're better than but that's the one where if it happens if you you know you lose points there that's where you have to perk the ears up a bit and go hey like let's settle down let's make sure I think for the one-off you can be okay with that as you said especially with with some of the other results in the league you just take it for what it is and, and you're happy you're still where you are yeah, yeah. Uh, except we're now going to see the the explosion of four four two. Lump it to the big lad. Get a defender scoring on a set piece and winning one nil. Wasn't I wasn't watching Everton anyway, so I'm not really going <laughs> to lose uh, lose any sleep over what they do moving forward. Uh, the dice formula for success. Uh, but anyways, um, right. So as I uh, mentioned, uh, Manchester City uh, dropping points, losing uh, to Tottenham Hotspur one uh, nil. Uh, I mean. Yeah, we'll probably spend most of our time talking about what is wrong with City, uh, but a quick shout to uh, Spurs. You know, Harry Kane got the Spurs club record for goals and everything, not on the greatest goal of all time, uh, but he now has the record. And um, yeah, I, can we also give a shout to Antonio Conte recovering from this, uh, this gallbladder surgery and uh, not on the touchline? Yeah, he's uh, apparently was was trying to get back for this one, at least to be in the stadium. His doctor said no. Uh, I don't remember where I read it. I think it might have been... Um, I think it might have been Gab Marcotti and said something like knowing the way Conte operates as a human. I'm sure him watching in like a hotel room or like a hospital room from like a thousand miles away is actually probably as charming to his health as actually being there. He's, he's that kind of guy. Uh, but no, it's it's a big win, especially, as you said, without Conte being there uh, to leave it away from City, as you said, for a minute. Uh, Spurs played this kind of one perfectly. They're playing a City team that has been uh, very inconsistent of late, kind of struggling a little bit. And you just kind of let them continue to struggle. Again, you play sound defensive, uh, you, you concede possession, but again, just like Everton, you don't, you try and not give them too, too many chances, uh, which is, you know, they, they did an okay job at, I think city certainly had the chances to score and miss a couple. They, they really made an effort to shut down uh, Holland and make sure that he wasn't the one that was going to beat him. And they did, right. They absolutely they kept him from getting a single shot off, uh, which I think is like never, it hasn't happened for him in, in like three years. Yeah. And hey, look, we're gonna, this guy doesn't beat us. Alvarez go score goal. Mares go score goal. Grealish score goal and those guys could not do it and so uh a, a good sound tactical game plan and it, and it works out for them you know, they capitalize on a mistake and and look they're a team right now that is very much looking like they could be a champions league 
with some of the other teams that are not playing as well. And uh, this result confirms it. Yeah. Uh, and Hey, real quick side out here. Um, who was that college football coach who like coached the game from the hospital last year? Uh, there was like a Hugh Freeze. At, I think he was still at Liberty, like actually had the ho- the, uh, the hospital. That's what I was thinking of, Hugh Freeze. Yeah. Yeah, he was in the press box and like on the upper level, like just like I don't know if he was like, actually trying to coach from there or just watching, but yeah, they literally wheeled him into the stadium on a hotel bed and he watched from from like a like a, a luxury suite. Yeah, just, <laughs> and it all that can't be good for your health. I mean, all these guys, they're they're fucking you know blood pressures through the roof anyway because that's what you need to have to get to that level and <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, you just man, could could you just turn the TV off, just like, you know, read the paper the next day and, and, and hope they won. I guess it's not in their, their DNA. Uh, but, but anyways, um, but yeah, so like something is wrong with Manchester City. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know, like, is it this, you know, FFP stuff, the, the allegations in the background? Uh, is Pep losing uh, his grip on the team? Uh, I mean, look at Holland's body language, you know, Pep's giving him instruction to drop deeper to get the ball. And, you know, he's almost looking like a petulant child uh, at times. Like, like, what's going on there, man? Uh, remember we talked about stubborn coaches a little bit ago. I think uh, this is really him being very stubborn right now. Uh, and like, we've always, you know, the, the, the running joke is right. Whenever he needs to, to tinker or whatever, he should keep the, the same, right. He tinkers and he changes it, he changes the formation. He puts a guy here and a guy there. Uh, you know, like I understand it's against his quote unquote DNA, but considering you literally have a man beast at, 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 at your number nine, maybe lumping five balls, like, like root one to him a game, like actually wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Right. Like, not only is it probably going to work, um, it also when you add that component, it gives the the uh, you know the the other team something to think about. Another way to defend it, it opens everything up in front of you. And and God, far be it for me to try and tell Pep Guardiola how to manage a soccer team, but it seems so obvious that if you just you know it's like the quarterback, right? You have to throw the deep ball a couple times a game so the safety's back up so you can throw underneath. And keep I think them that, honest. You yeah, have to keep yeah. them honest. I tell my guys that too. My club is you know it's all about possession oriented. Uh, but like every now and again, you got to keep them honest, just, yeah, lump it long. And like, I'm not saying that that's going to result in the goal. It's not going to, you know, that's not our style of play, but like it at least forces them to think about it. And it, again, it opens up the midfield. It, it, it gives, it gives Mares a little bit more time. It gives De Bruyne a little bit more time in space when he comes in. It gives Gundogan a little bit more time. So it, it really, it's not just a, uh, a, a, like something to do it for the sake of doing it, it can help in your other style. And if you get, if you bounce and by the way, they have the best goalie in fucking soccer history at pinging a 60 yard ball. Yeah. Like, it's not like you're doing it with some like scrub who doesn't know how to play. So it it just, I think he's just being very stubborn. I think that their style of play does not really fit what their center forward is supposed to do. And Mm. for whatever we say about, again, how good he is, uh, I don't want Holland dropping 35 yards from goal to pick up the ball. Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like, like Uh, he's not Sergio Aguero. Like, they're playing as if Aguero is still on the side. And it's and it just, it's not right. And so if they're not going to fix that, then I don't really know what the answer is because uh, you're going to see the same things happen. You're going to see, again, the bunkers. You're going to see two center backs on either shoulder. You're going to, your teams are going to let you pass them to death and they're just going to try and shut it down in the middle and you have to have a plan B. And right now they, they're not showing a plan B. And mm-hmm. so if they have one, now is about the time that they probably want to uh, get it going because after that Arsenal match on Saturday, having the day to think about it, uh, how, to have that kind of performance, uh, it's 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 stunning because you would have bet anything after Saturday they were going to come out like hair on fire and and knowing that they could cut into the lead. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. But you know, still in Champions League, still second in, in the table here. Something's wrong with them. Uh, so what does that make Liverpool? Something is really, uh, really wrong uh, with them. Losing three nil to Wolves on the weekend, uh, and, and Klopp just kind of like just angry, <laughs> you know, like like not being able to contain it anymore. I think the frustration is just kind of boiled over there. Yeah, he pretty much said he has no answers. Uh, and I understand that part of that is they're, they're, they're injured as hell and, and everything else. And I understand some of that's beyond his control. But it, it, it's funny as we talk about, uh, you know, what, how much, how long the leash any manager particularly gets uh, at any given point. But what's, what's stunning about this, again, is, is that they've been absolutely dreadful defensively. And it doesn't look like they've systematically done anything to try and combat it. They're not scoring goals either. And I haven't seen anything trying to combat it. We're seeing the same things over and over again. And now you have the manager come out and say, I, I truly don't know what to do anymore. And, and, and I understand that, that Klopp has, has earned the respect of that leash. Mm. But at the same time, when your coach starts saying, I don't know what to do, it really makes you question the viability of that him as your manager in the long term. Unless you're going to say, this is all because of injuries. We're going to reinvest in the summer. This is, Season's a, a is it's a throwaway. There's nothing we can do about it right now, and we'll just move on next year with them and, and pray it never happened. But it's it's a, it's a it's a hard thing to have to do because they are diabolical when you watch them play. If, again, if they weren't wearing the the red jerseys, you would think they were every bit of Southampton or yeah. you know, or Bournemouth or you know whatever name bad team here. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I don't care how bad it gets. Uh, but you're the ambassador for the club and, and to make even remotely any sort of admission of uh, it, it's effectively saying like, I, I, like I give up. I know he's not giving up, but, but if you say like, I'm out of options, you know, what type of message does that project to the, the team, the owners, the fans? I mean, that that's, and I get, I get his frustration. I get everyone has their breaking point or whatever, but that's why those types of leaders are put in those types of leadership positions. Uh, Cause you just have to kind of like, not show that <laughs> yeah and and again it's, it's and it was for a while it was just really the defense and now again uh they're they're not scoring after the world cup break i i, I heard it referenced a couple times today that their leading scorer of the calendar year is still the Leicester defender Fais, who scored like the two own goals like they haven't had a single one of their own players score twice in this calendar year that's how bad it's going and again the defense has looked bad but this is a new wrinkle where again like Salah looks meh and and you know Nunez is still very mercurial. Gakpo's struggling to kind of get into a team where they're everyone is struggling coming off of a, a much smoother PSV operation. And it's just it's a mess and it's it's not going anywhere. And they're currently in tenth in the table, and it's no less than what they deserve. That's how they've been playing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, a couple other results here. Uh, Manchester United two, Crystal Palace one. Uh, Casemiro with the full-on two-handed throat grab um, of, of uh, Hughes, right? Um, you know, we can spend like maybe a few seconds on this or whatever, but I, I, I can't believe that there's any controversy about this. Like he was sent off. It's a red card. Uh, what, what's the argument against? Uh, first of all, I'd like to say I'm very disappointed that you said that United almost choked this one away. I will just put that. Uh. Uh, no, look, I hands around the neck. I thought it was a pretty automatic thing. Uh, the best argument I've seen it kind of against it is that you could easily argue that 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 whole kind of situation warranted maybe two or three red cards. I think he might have not been the only guy who kind of deserved one. Uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, yeah, you had your hand around a guy's neck. That's, that's as automatic as it gets. You can't headbutt a guy. You can't put your hands around a neck. You can't throw a punch. These are these are absolutes, right? And when you do it to the point where it's very clearly caught on camera, where you can 
literally watch it happen. It's not in the middle of 12 guys where you're not sure whose hand it is or whatever. It's clear as day. And to me, it's, it's an easy call to make. Uh, again, if you want to say that a couple other guys should have been sent off there too, I, I won't argue that point, but this is a red card uh, a thousand times out of a thousand for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And right, uh, as you said, almost choking it away. Palace get one back, uh, but ultimately it ends up uh, united with with all three points. And uh, yeah, I guess Marcus Rashford, right, with another one, just can't stop scoring? Uh, he's uh, good at soccer. Uh, probably uh, might have gotten a couple more starts for England, as it turns out, in the World Cup game. <laughs> for him. Uh, as it is, he scored three goals in limited minutes. The guy's uh, man-possessed right now is the hottest player obviously in the league and, and arguably in the world. And again, we, you know, we talk about a guy who's legitimately the best human uh, or yeah. in, in, in the game as well. So as much as, again, you hate United, you never want him to succeed, seeing him continue to score. Hey, shuts up all those people that are, you know, oh, you know, stick to soccer. Well, I think he's uh, doing quite fine and still, you know, helping out charities and everything else. So good on him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Southgate had like a hard cap of Manchester United starts, you know, and he gave them all to Harry Maguire instead of Rashford. I, I, I don't know. Can't blame a man for that. <laughs> God damn. All right. Um, and yeah, let's round it out with uh, with a little segment here, a little sub segment of teams uh, that like we should be spending more time on than the big six because the big six are a shambles uh, and clubs like Brentford, clubs like Brighton. Clubs like Fulham, uh, I mean, just low-key working their way up the table, competing for European spots, and and really just the exemplar of, like, how you should do business in the transfer windows, you know, how you should do this, that, and the other thing, and just be, like, a really well-run club. Uh, yeah, all of them, right? And as you said, uh, Brighton gets a win, Brentford gets a win, Fulham, uh, a decently impressive draw against Chelsea, uh, you know, given the $700 million or whatever Chelsea spent, still can't find a goal. It's uh, incredible. You don't, they spent a billion <laughs> You just don't score on Tim Ream. It's just not a thing you do. Uh, it's just yeah, check out the clip on that. Uh, obviously, <laughs> but I mean, just clearing it off the line. Dude, he's a fucking legend, man. Good on him. So good. And, and again, uh, this Matoma kid for Brighton, uh, you know, we, we spent in the beginning of this year, I spent a lot of time talking about how, you know, Trissard scores like big goal, goals against everyone and is going to get his like big ass move to a top six team. Of oh. course, you know, that happens. And now uh, Matoma, who I think they spent like under three million pounds on, is the next one who like by next year is just going to be like 50 million dollars to, I don't know, Chelsea, I guess. Uh, but, you know, like just another guy who. Uh, you know, one guy leaves, that's, that's that your guy. And now this Matoma dude comes in and just big goal after big goal. Mm. Uh, FA Cup league matches, no matter what, just scoring bangers and winners and everything else. And again, just a fun guy to watch play. And, and they'll be the next 50 million they get uh, for a player that they spent nothing on. Yeah, yeah, there you have it. Uh, and actually, I'll, I'll give a hat tip to, to Barry Glendening on, on Guardian Weekly uh, today. And it, it's almost like a compliment, you know, that we don't talk about them so much because they, they do just kind of fly under the radar. They like, you know, put their hard hat on, keep their head down and just like get their shit done in a really efficient way. And that that's almost like, you know, it's a compliment in a way. Yeah. We talk about expected results and I think it, we're reaching the point again, the, the word we're, we're you know, uh, what, 21 game, over halfway through the season, right? We're a good, uh, you know, 55, 60% through the season. And so, you know, Fulham draws Chelsea away and it's a, it's a really good result for them. It really is. And we're kind of going, well, yeah. Like we're it's making, a non-story, right? We're going to make fun of Chelsea for it, but yeah, it's a non-story, right? Uh, you know, Brentford, I mean, I understand Southampton's at the bottom of the league, but Brentford just doesn't wax teams all the time, right? It's not an expected thing, but they've done it enough. You know, Brighton, again, gets the late winner, and it's kind of expected at this point. And there's a reason. These guys, these three teams, as you said, are six, seven, and eight in the table. Uh, look, are they are they Champions League teams? No. Are they Europa League teams this season? Yeah, maybe, right? And Chelsea... Yeah. 
Bulls still are going to have a lot to say about that, clearly. And, and you know, Aston Villa is always a team that can pick it up. But these are teams that have uh, across the board. They have positive goal differentials. They have, uh, you know, they, they've, they've played the good teams really tough, right? We've talked about Fulham, you know, again, their games against Arsenal, like they barely lose that game. They lose it late on earlier in the season. They've played Chelsea really close. They've played Newcastle really close. They're just, they're doing it against everyone they play. And they're consistent, as you said. And it's it's slightly under the radar, but it's, again, it, it, the biggest compliment you can pay is it's the expectation now for them this season. And until they've failed that expectation, it's what I'm going to continue to see. And so when a Brentford hosts, you know, Crystal Palace, uh, that's a game I expect them to win now, not just maybe get a draw or, you know, if they lose, it's really not that big a deal or it might not be that shocking. Now it kind of would be. And that's what they've uh, kind of done for themselves. All right, there you have it. Um, that'll do it for the Premier League. Uh, let's move on to Spain. Uh, a couple of results here in La Liga. Uh, as I alluded to earlier in the pod, uh, massive result here. Uh, Real Madrid, nil. Uh, Mallorca, one, which is pretty much allowing Barca to cruise uh, to the title. Uh, they beat Sevilla this weekend and are now uh, eight points clear at the top of the table. Yeah, again, uh, uh, Madrid, another team just demolished by injuries right now. Uh, I think uh, Courtois is, is, has not been playing. So, again, you maybe give up a goal. Uh, this was an own goal, so it's not like you, Courtois stops it, but whatever. You, you have Benzema out. You kind of have Rodrigo playing what I suppose is, is if anything, a false nine, uh, kind of with Vinicius and Asensio up front. Asensio misses a penalty. Uh, and, and, by the way, you want to talk about a team that is in its own head. Uh, afterwards, Ancelotti was asked why uh, Asensio took the penalty. Uh, not Rodrigo. And like, he literally cited that Rodrigo like missed a penalty in the shootout for Spain. And it's like, yeah, it just might be weighing on right now. I'm like, dude, that was, that was two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're telling me that you're starting number nine in a, in a, in a La Liga match is so mentally frail that a penalty kick he missed in a world cup, which is a high stress situation means that, you know, in the, in the 50th or 60th minute of a, of a away at Mallorca, he can't put a ball in the net. Then that's a problem. And, and for, for the, for that kind of be the mentality from an Ancelotti who very rarely like says stuff like that. He's always very, you know, Hey, look, we won or we lost and this is what's supposed to be. And he doesn't really make a lot of excuses, but for him to, to give that rationale was very bizarre to me. Uh, this team needs Benzema back in the, in the worst way. And uh, they, they just kind of need to get together because as you said, Barcelona is playing really well and this could get out of hand very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and also I'm, I'm assuming uh, people are still being racist toward Vinicius. Uh, every week. Uh, yeah. No, that just keeps happening. Uh, and yeah. week they're like, we need to figure out how to stop this. And I, I think we know how to stop it. They just don't really want to. Uh, yeah, another another week of that. And it's unfortunate because, again, Mallorca, I think, is a, is a team that uh, is likable in a general sense. Right. Small island barely got up a couple of years ago, barely stayed up last year. Now, like mid table and, and has kind of some American ownership involvement as well. So you kind of like if you're kind of have that American interest, you kind of root for that and. And again, they're not a team that we've seen historically necessarily uh, is prone to this kind of thing, but uh, it really is a situation where just it keeps happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, such a shame. And fuck all of you racist, <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, anything else in La Liga, Jared? Uh, yeah, the, the, the sh- let's pop the champagne for Elche, who won their first match of the season. Hooray. Uh, and, is that like the reverse like the reverse 72 dolphins? Exactly. The, 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 uh, the, the Lions and Browns, uh, you know, pop- <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that leaves uh, Cremonese is the only team in the top league that is yet to win. Uh, LG shouldn't be that happy, as it were, as uh, they are still nine points out of 19th place, let alone the, the relegation zone. So they're still probably uh, almost surely going down, but at least for one weekend, uh, they got to they got to celebrate. 
All right. Well, good for them. Uh, it's the little things, the small victories. All right. Uh, in Syria, uh, Naples are still a wagon uh, and Inter win the Milan Derby. Uh, Jared, would you also like to extrapolate on what you told me uh, offline? You had to literally drag yourself <laughs> to watch this stuff. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, I, like, like Milan Derby, obviously, is, for me, it's like I, one of these matches you have to watch. And, and I don't know if I'm in, I, I think I might be in my own like post World Cup funk. Mm. Oh, man. After, after the highs of that tournament, just like sitting down to watch like two like Milan teams that right now are just playing so like average does not really like just it's it's tough and and even it doesn't butter your biscuit even Spurs City to an extent I was like all right gotta watch this because it's like the big game but it was kind of all right like yeah like I kind of have it on mute on the side while I'm like doing something else it's just I need to I I don't know I need to go like to Thailand for like nine months or something and and, like find my chi but uh Napoli I think might be like the only team right now that I really just like love watching on week in week out because they do the things all the time yeah, no, I, I can empathize. I, I basically had to, I don't know what the, the lesser of two evils was, uh, but like I told you, I was coaching in, in Richmond this weekend. And so it was either standing outside and watching bang average, you know, youth football uh, in 20 degree weather with gale force winds uh, or yeah, watching that stuff. And, and both of them are, are torturous in their own ways. So it's like, you're fucked either way. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, Syria is done. I think we can put this one to bed. It's a, it's a 13 point lead now. Um, and yeah, Milan has been terrible. Inter's been struggling. Roma's been up and down. It, it, this one's a, I'm, I'm, this one's a wrap. Oh yeah, so much for that. Uh, the, the whole clusterfuck thing. The whole like, oh man, it's anyone's title. No, nope. I mean, it, it's there. Still is a clusterfuck between you know two and six. But sure, yeah. Point where we could have said at some point if somebody gets hot, there's a chance. Uh, I, I think that we can we can put that to bed. It would be a, I mean, really a, a pretty epic choke job at this point for Napoli to to not get it done. Juve <laughs> uh, up to 13th place uh, with 23 points after the point deduction, uh, and yeah, uh, Salernitana, Spezia, just flirting uh, with the relegation zone. But yeah, it looks like it's probably going to be your Verona, Sampdoria, and Cremonese. By the way, it'd be great if uh, the like the Italian like authorities or whatever kept like actually finished their investigation to all the other teams this like during this season. And just like kept throwing out the bands for everyone, and like all of a sudden, you know, like somebody randoms in the Champions League because like both Milan teams and Roma get hit with like you know eight point penalties, yeah. <laughs> and like all of a sudden you have like Bologna or something in the Champions League. Yeah, uh, which is not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, we're talking about Syria here, folks. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. Literally anything. All right, uh, let's move on to Germany. Uh, your wheelhouse, the Bundesliga. Um, Jared, the Honeybees, they only gave up one goal in a convincing win. Uh, and by the way, Union Berlin, uh, they're kind of keeping it frosty with Bayern in the title race. Yeah, well, I, I, the, let's address the Dortmund thing very quickly. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, they only allowed one goal and one big, but they, they only got to play 11 on 10 for 73 minutes. So. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, so the goal they did give up was against 10 men. Uh, let's, let's do that. But um, this is getting interesting, right? We, we talked about Union Berlin specifically for a while. Then it was Frankfurt and Freiburg as well. And we kind of said, is anyone, you know, and then Bayern kind of created a little separation. Well, Bayern finally win uh, after the winter break, after their winter break ended. And, uh, you know, the Cancelo thing kind of bothers me. I know we'll talk about the move itself in, in a little bit here, but uh I don't know that that there really is a title threat to Bayern this year, but mm-hmm. if you were to ask me, how does it happen, right? If you were going to write the story, if, uh, the script of how Bayern wasn't going to win the league title, how would it happen? That's what's been playing out. It is the injury to Neuer. It is the fact that Chupo Moting was not going to score a goal every game for the entire season and they were struggling up front. Right. It was going to be a couple injuries. It was going to be other teams staying healthy and getting hot. And all those things are happening. And so when you talk about a title race, is it possible? 
I'd like to think it is, but then they go like get Cancelo and, and now it's like, all right, I'm guessing that's going to like put all, that all to rest. But I, I think for a hot minute there, I was actually really writing the story of how this could happen. Uh, Union Berlin, as you said, big win there. A guy scored a goal at the end, a Jordan, somebody, um, P P five, not an international player, uh, scoring a, a pretty good, decent, but decent game winner. Goalie probably should have stopped it, but nonetheless, he found himself in a good spot. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're keeping it close again. And actually as they had won, they were actually the technically the league leaders for about a day until Bayern played. And, and again, right now it's Bayern's up by, uh, Berlin by a point. Dortmund has, has won every match coming off of the break, even though they still can't defend. Uh, only three points out. Leipzig only four points out. And so uh, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something here. But, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to get my hopes up. Uh, yes. I, and I, I trust him. I'm, I'm sure Bayern are still like negative 8,000. Oh, it, it's ins- like, honestly. But it, it's, it really is to the point where, like, you could almost argue there would be, like, a little bit of value in trying to bet somebody else. Just because, again, for, you know, there'd be no other situation, I think, that you can think of where a team, you know, with, with 15 matches left is only up by one point, And whatever those other chasing teams are, the, the value is so low. I think they were, like, minus 1,000 even before the weekend. So it's probably something like that, which means you're getting eight or eight or nine to one for a team in second or third place, which is absolutely astounding. You'd never see that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Um, and then last but not least, uh, League 1, uh, this league's games happened. Uh, Jared, is there anything to report there? Uh, not really. Uh, PSG, eight points clear still. They haven't been playing particularly well. Mbappe is hurt. We'll probably miss the first leg against, uh, I think they're playing Bayern in the Champions League yeah. with an injury. Messi scored another really nice goal. I know that's very, very surprising. Uh, they're, they're kind of a mess, but again, the rest of the league is just not uh, they're not doing anything to, to scare them. Unlike the Bundesliga, right? There, there's no Union Berlin right now. Right. Monaco has been really hot of late, but they were they were starting pretty far down. Uh, Ren has been inconsistent. They were in second for a while. Right now, Marseille is kind of on a good run of form to be in second place. But again, all these teams have had their own little, you know, four or five match stretches where they haven't been very good. And because of that, it's still an eight-point uh, lead. And, and so, you know, again, it, 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 it's not too, too exciting. But um yeah, it'd be nice because PSG's really not playing all, all, all that well, but there's just no one to challenge them. Yeah, it's Liga. Um, that will do it for our domestic league roundup. Um, yeah, let's move on to the next segment here. Uh, rumors and here we go. The January window is officially shut. Uh, and boy, as usual, did we see some action towards the end. Uh, I'd refer you to the insert article here about uh, the amount of money spent per league, how much the Premier League spent more than everyone combined times 10, blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, exemplified, I think, by uh, the Enzo for £121 million. Jared, there is no fucking way that this guy is worth that much money. I know he's young and had a great World Cup, uh, but Jesus Christ, there is no way uh, I mean, I guess when we say about capitalism, you're worth what someone's willing to pay. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's an absolute. It, I don't understand it, and uh, I mean, we, like this this went on for that entire month, and we're like, oh yeah, like they're going to spend 120, and they're like, no, like they're really not. Like I know it sounds cool to say, but there's no way they're actually. Oh wait, no, they actually did. Yep, that, they right? did. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like look, he could be. The thing is, you have to. He has to be so fucking good to 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 warrant that money, right? He can be a legitimately great player for them for the next five years, right? He can be, uh, I'm not going to say like De Bruyne world-class, but he can be like a legitimately great world-class midfielder that starts in Argentina, you know, for their national team, like game in, game out, so on and so forth. And it's still not worth $120 million. Like it's just not. And so uh, when you see 
what we, you know, we talk about the, the mid-level right teams that, that find these values that get these guys that, and then sell them on is that there's no way you can't tell me that, that Chelsea can't find somewhere on, on Europe in Europe, two or three guys at 40 million each that can really play. And, and, and on top of everything else, of course, with all the money they may have spent. But uh, look, even if he's as good as advertised, he'd have to be literally Conte level, or, or I don't even know who the, the perfect like box-to-box comparison is for the next five years for it to be worth that. And that's just not a thing that's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we see it in the NFL draft all the time. Like, you're just absolutely paying out the wazoo for those first couple of draft picks, which, yeah, you know, might be like, you know, nine out of tens or whatever, nine and a half out of tens. But you, you can find a bunch of like – you know, 8.9 out of 10s, you know, in the fifth round and pay them, you know, 1% of what you're paying for those guys. And, and yeah, and like right before the NFL instituted like the rookie salary cap where rookies could, before that, when rookies could literally make like unlimited money, the, you know, the quarterback would be drafted first overall and get an amount of money. They'd be like, wait a minute, you can literally sign a quarterback that like made the Pro Bowl for like slightly more money than that. Yeah, like, yeah. What, like how on earth is that? Like, do we think that that's the better decision? And it's not, it's just, it's, it's, it's frightfully not. And if you look at the, the highest paid transfer fees in, in, in history, a, most of them are with players who have significantly more experience. Right. I think, I think Enzo has played 80, like 80 league matches in his career and certainly not in a top five league mm-hmm. and has played, you know, what, uh, like, a dozen to to 18 like legitimate international matches that of consequence, right? Not counting friendlies or anything like that. Mm. Um, and so you're, you're paying that much for a guy who has that little experience. And again, most of these guys that have been signed for over a hundred million, whatever they failed, they haven't been as advertised. The yeah. group, all these, these guys don't, it, I think it's like two out of the top 10 have legitimately been in a situation where you would even think about doing that, that deal again. And you might not even say yes then. Like, but you would at least say, oh, this guy's been good enough. But again, a lot of these, like, like what money, I, I, of course, money meaning no object, but is City really would pay like a hundred million for Grealish again? I, I would think not. And, and yeah. again, on the West on those other guys too. It just, it doesn't work. There's no history of it working. And so you're really trying to, to thread a needle that doesn't, you know, a, a, with an eye that doesn't exist. And so I, I, again, it's to me, it's, there's no way you couldn't have found somebody out there that was 60 million. That would have been great. Yeah seems like a lot of human nature here. Like th- this is a perfect classic case of recency bias. Like we're just so short-sighted and we forget our past, you know, <laughs> like the, everyone forgets about the Ryan Leafs of the world. Uh, but anyways, um, yeah. Th- so the Premier League just keeps on spending money. A um, couple others to note here. Uh, Jao Cancelo, as you uh, alluded to, sent out on loan uh, to Bayern Munich uh, and uh, Sabitzer uh, coming in to Manchester United uh, on loan. Um, so yeah, some interesting deals there. Uh, Byron's good at this. You want to talk about teams being good at business, right? So yeah. Byron gets Cancelo on a loan with an option to buy for like 50 million, which again, I know he's not you know, like super, super young, but I think he can work perfectly in that system and they, and they get to test it out. They're test driving the car, right? Mm-hmm. If he works out in the next five months, they can sign him. If not, they don't have to. You have, and then you have him turning around and taking Sabitzer who doesn't fucking play and getting him off the books for a few months for United who needs a midfielder with the Erickson injury. And again, they just, they kind of make a, a shrewd financial decision. And even though they're not playing great on the field or they've struggled at times, uh, they're still do- making good decisions, right? They're not, they're doing things that make sense. Uh, and so you got to tip the credit, you know, credit to Bayern for doing smart things. And again, I think it's a good deal for United as well to get a proven dude in on loan when you have these injuries. Yeah, 100%. Uh, must have been some dust up between uh, Cancelo and, and Pep, right? I mean, for, for Pep to send that type of player out on loan in midseason. 
Uh, yeah, I think uh, Conchello didn't like the fact that he pretty much got replaced at outside back by Nathan Ake, uh, which I think is an understandable kind of thing to think. Yeah, yeah, fair play, fair play. Uh, also, Jorginho uh, into Arsenal on a permanent deal. Uh, what was it, like $12 million, which I thought was a steal. I completely trust Arteta and Edu at this point. Um, by the way, this is the same Edu who's, you know, brought in the likes of Gabriel Jesus, uh, Zinchenko, uh, you know, and, and it's just like, these guys are the reason why we are title contenders and favorites to win the Premier League. Yet uh, it's that Edu and Arteta that get absolutely fucking pilloried uh, by the Arsenal fan base uh, for this deal. And I get the whole, like talk about recency bias, like Chelsea have fucked us on a number of these. um, But I don't think Jorginho is that guy who knows, maybe he could be or whatever, but whatever. I I, I, I was just so surprised by the response on this one. Yeah. And I think, um, to the point about value, right? It's like, I'm not 100% sure. Like, when I saw the deal, the first thing I, I honestly did think was, you know, it's really weird because Arsenal has been playing a very high-tempo, up-tempo kind of style, very get-the-ball-move-quickly, and Jorginho is, like, snail slow. Yeah. So I, I wondered about the fit. But you know what? When you spend $12 million on a guy, you can afford to take the chance. And if you're wrong, it's $12 million. Mm-hmm. You haven't spent... 60 million on a guy you've said hey look here's a guy who knows how to win games has been a is, has been a reliable good Premier League player for a number of years not at his peak right right now right he's, he's a little bit older or whatever but he's he's a good soccer player and you're not and he, he will stabilize the midfield at times that we've questioned the depth right if if Jaka gets hurt or if a couple of these guys get hurt who's next well here's a guy who's next and who could be next and and can fit in and you know he's not gonna he's not gonna sink the team he's not gonna tank the team he's a, he's a reliable dude and again you didn't pay a ton for him so if he doesn't work out you're not screwed you can just be like all right didn't work out we'll move on to the next and so that's smart business to me, even if I don't think it's a great fit. Yeah. yeah I, right. We'll, we'll, we'll try it out. We'll see. But, we'll see. If you're, if, but if I'm not wrong, it, Arsenal's not screwed. Exactly. All right. Um, also, uh, and also chalk it up to, to an Obi-Wan here, uh, but Aaron Ramsey, <laughs> in a way, uh, an Obi-Wan in and of himself, um, loaned to Middlesbrough. And by the way, Jared, I'll admit, I didn't even know he was on Aston Villa. Uh, well, I don't think he wasn't he like loaned from it. Like, wasn't he playing in France? He was on that team in. Fr- I know, he- but he's on the books. I, right, right. Yeah, yeah. He loaned out into France. I could, I actually didn't remember he was at. A, he was technically on the books at Villa, mm. but like I just didn't remember he was part of that team. in, uh, is it Montpellier or Nice? Which one is the one that has every random player ever on it? Oh God, Nice, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, but bizarre. Uh, Middlesbrough. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I need to replace Matthew Hoppy. I think is what happened there. Right. Uh, there's an American connection there, right? Uh, I believe Zach Steffen was loaned out to them as well, right? Uh, Zach Steffen is currently playing at Middlesbrough, yes. Okay, very good. And, oh, God, and who's the manager there now? I don't even know. Oh, fuck. It is a big name. Uh, but anyways, all right, let's let's uh, let's have a quick lol sesh here at Nottingham Forest, which, again, just continue to beggar belief at the amount of transfers that they put in. Every time they uh, get more, you're like, okay, that's got to be the end. But it literally never is. Uh, at the end of the window, more activity from Nottingham Forest. John Joe Shelby, Kaylor Navas, and unattached Jordan Ayew to Nottingham Forest. I, just like, th- this has to be it, right? Well, I mean, that's the funny part. It's like, all right, the window shut. And it was like, all right, they finally are done. They're like, oh, yeah, Jordan Ayew like, is a free agent, so we can sign him outside the window. Like, oh, my God. Like, this is incredible. That's uh, right. Yeah, they signed him a few days after the window. because I mean, literally, 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 the legal limit was reached, but they still brought in more players. Uh, yeah, like, and the, uh, we've said this every time. We said this, like, we started saying this about 15 signings ago, 
And so there really is nothing else to say about it because they yeah. just keep signing guys. And uh, yeah, okay, fine. And I guess they're not going to get relegated, so fair play to them. But uh, I don't really – like, Navas makes perfect sense. Like, that fantastic sure. piece of business to get him on loan. Obviously, he's not playing at PSG. He's a world-class goalie. I don't really know how John Joe Shelby helps him. Uh, he's he's old. He's slow. He's not a great soccer player anymore. Uh, well, if he ever was. And uh, Jordan Ayew is like 150 years old. So that I, I don't know. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But I guess it's not supposed to. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you know the world just doesn't make sense, and we'll leave that as a mystery. Um, and then yeah, just got to give uh, here to round out the segment uh, a shout to my boy Hector Bellerin. Still have a soft spot in my heart uh, for him from his Arsenal days. Uh, off to Sporting to Sporting Lisbon on a free from Barca. Do you want to talk about the insane Aubameyang rumors that are floating around? Oh, I, I would love to talk about that. Well, he really wasn't insane. even included in the uh, in the Champions League roster, right? Uh, he was not. Uh, uh, and apparently there's, uh, there's smoke, but again, the two sides are very far off, of him joining LAFC. <laughs> that would be fucking great. I mean, it, it makes sense, though. He's just completely done in Europe. It, it doesn't make sense in the sense that... Um, the LAFC, like, because they had, like, you know, too many, like, had to, like, clear DP space, moved one of their, like, Cucho Rongo into Mexico because he's, like, a 27-year-old dude who scored a lot of goals, but he, like, absolutely would not press. Mm. And, like, Toronto wants to press. So, instead, you're going to, like, bring in a guy who's 33 years old and also does not like to press. Um, so I'm not well, really... yeah, that, so that doesn't make sense. I, all I'm saying is like, no, it makes guy, sense. That... He's run his race. In, oh, no, no, that like... part. Yes, that part absolutely makes sense. But I, I don't understand why LAFC would decide this was a good idea is, okay. my, is really the broader point, which says a lot about Obama Yang that uh, and an MLS team should really be like, yeah, we're good. Yeah. So, so how does that work, even though the January window is closed, like because it's a different league and they don't operate with that window? Yeah. So leagues. So the, the, the transfer leagues only the windows really only matter in the country with which a player is being received. There's no standard. This is why Turkish guys go to Turkey after the windows close every time. Because mm. Turkey leaves their window open like to just grab everyone's leftovers. Mm. Um, uh, I think there's a guy in uh, Zaniolo in Roma is being uh, uh, there's a rumor that he's going to end up in Turkey because they couldn't get him. You know, they couldn't get him off the books oh, in the actual uh, and he's getting crucified oh yeah he's like absolutely demolished there and like the fans are like we hate you like go die and so they might just their signs to... are like traitors Zaniel. yeah out of and our so club. He, like there's i think he's i, I think it's galatasaray though I, I i could be mistaken but i think he might end up there because they their window stays open longer and so uh so mls their window pretty much runs i think until the season pretty much starts so there's still a couple more weeks for teams to to, to for a guy to move over there so i think that's the current uh, situation so it, it's he can still sign there and, and play whereas obviously he can't play anywhere in, in the big leagues in europe yeah i, I would love to see obama yang yeah either either at lafc or traban spore uh in turkey that those are probably, but they're probably not the two options at this point yeah <laughs> all right love it uh any other curveballs to throw me here at the end jared or are we done with the transfer window? Uh, uh nothing really comes to mind there's been some mls stuff but nothing that you would actually nothing that i even care about and i care Oh, well, then, uh, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and leave that there. Um, yeah, that'll do it for our uh, rumors. And here we goes. Um, let's round this bad boy up. Uh, it is time to go to the old tried and true own goal of the day, our last segment of this podcast episode. Thank you so much to the traveling supporters uh, for listening. Um, yeah, Jared, is your gracious podcast host, I'm going to allow you to go first. What is your own goal of the day? Yeah, uh, I'm actually going to have to be serious here. Uh uh, the tremendous earthquakes in Syria and Turkey yeah. uh, over the last couple of days, uh, literally thousands dead, uh, at, at least. 
at this point. Uh, and to, to kind of make the tangential uh, soccer related comment about that is uh, among the, the thousands of people missing uh, Christian Atsu winger, who's, I can't remember what team he's on there, played for Newcastle and some other teams played for Ghana for a while is, is missing and, and really like no longer exists. And, and at this point I would assume feared like dead. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously uh, a, an absolute cataclysmic situation. We all know specifically in Syria, the infrastructure is not, always the best and, and all the civil war and everything that's happened there has, has only made it worse. And I mean, just when you have these natural disasters they, with, with thousands dead, uh, just, I mean, uh, horrifying. Right. And so, uh, you know, thoughts and thoughts and prayers to everyone over there that, that hopefully, you know, the, the body counts as low as it can possibly be. And we can find some people that are safe that, that might be feared dead. And, and, but just uh, nothing to say about it other than just it's, it's, yeah. it's gut wrenching. Yeah, un- unfortunately, that's going to be uh, one of those where the body count just keeps rising, right? Exactly. As they look through the rubble and everything. It's it, there's no. I mean, this morning I know for a couple times. I mean, just like within an hour, like you would see the number go up five five hundred at a time, and and that was like every you know half an hour. And so, like God, I, I fear that when uh, when it's all said and done, we're going to see a number that's just uh... astronomical. Jared, I didn't even know that there was a fault line over there. Uh, I was not aware. I, I, massive earthquakes are not something you hear about over there very often. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, and then, yeah, and then to your point about Syria as well. I mean, just like they, they, you know, they, 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 but last thing I saw, and now it's over three thousand. Like it, it's, it's just going to be a number that just is is uh, just astonishing when it when it's all said and done. I fear. Yeah, yeah. I saw some of the pictures coming out of there. It's just an absolute tragedy. Uh, so yes, I, I will uh, stand with you, Jared. I appreciate that. That um, you know, somber own goal of the day. Uh, I, I'm going to be a little bit more lighthearted here, I think, uh, and mostly focus on uh, on Saudi Arabia. Uh, my own goal of the day uh, is going to be, uh, and, and I'm sure you've heard about this. I know it's a little bit older news, uh, but travel Saudi Arabia. Uh, and maybe there's an update on this. I, I don't know if it's uh, happened or not, uh, but they are adamant about sponsoring uh, the Women's World Cup uh, later this year. Um, and, and Jared, this is, uh, to be very clear to everyone, this is the same country, Saudi Arabia, that has only just recently uh, allowed you know, women to drive. Um, the, the very same country uh, where you know, women have to walk behind uh, their husbands, uh, that uh, women can be killed for being raped uh, for, you know, in terms of like an honor culture thing, uh, you know, honor killings of their own family members um, and just like their human rights records, especially as it pertains to women, uh, one of the poorest, if not the poorest in the entire world. Uh, and yeah, Jared, they want to sponsor the Women's World Cup. Uh, yeah. And, and to your point, uh, there's going to be and already has been significant pushback. Uh, both host countries are kind of like, wait, wait, like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is this is horrible. It, it uh, can't be like they can't do it, can they? Unless, unless they literally give them like 50 billion dollars or something. Um, yeah, I don't think there's like and, and, and I think the the quote unquote good news about this is that, you know, we, we talked about, uh, we spent a lot of months talking about it. what are the men's teams going to do about Qatar, right? What are we going to, like, and, and I think that we've, we've often looked at, uh, you know, the, the World Cup almost being beyond reproach in terms of like the amount of money and, and everything else. And uh, I think, I think on the women's side, the players are, are far more willing to, to put it out there, to, to risk it. Uh, we've seen that in the past with, with you know, whether it be, uh, you know, Rapino and a couple of the other women's players kneeling, you know, before the anthem and, and risking getting, you know, kind of having a, a national team issue. Yeah. Uh, you, um, 
the name's escaping me. Who's the chick from uh, the girl from Norway? It was like the World Player of the Year who stopped playing because they, of equal pay. Uh, that's killing me. I can't remember her name right now. But um, you know, she was like, "I'm not playing for you until like we figure this out." And so I, I think you very well might see a, a real mass kind of situation where where the women get together and and say, "This is not." a thing that we're okay with and like, it's not going to happen. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see, obviously there's, there's a few months to go before this happens, but it wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, the, the, the ladies sitting together and, and say, this is not acceptable. And, and maybe because it's the women's world cup. And I say that only in the sense of strictly financially and, and you know, how much money everything earns that the, that FIFA says, maybe it's not worth the headache for, for an amount of money that we can, you know, possibly find elsewhere. Right. Uh, Ada Hegerberg. I believe. There you go. There. Oh, man, that was going to kill me for like the next 20 minutes. Don't worry. Uh, hat tip to Google on that one. All right. Um, but yeah, th- th- this one, Jared, like just truly mind boggling, just blew my fucking mind. And and yeah, it not that it hasn't even been like shut down wholesale. Like it is still a possibility. Like I know there's a lot of pushback from the players. I know this, that and the other thing. But like it could still happen. And that is just fucking mind blowing to me. Yeah. And, and again, I, I my hope is that if it does really happen and we get to the World Cup and there's, you know, the, the travel Saudi Arabia banner or whatever billboard like next to the field, like I kind of feel like someone might do something and, and which would be like, all, like it shouldn't have to come to that. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I, I think it would kind of be cool if, like, you know, they, like, legitimately found a way to, to really fight back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Um, all right, well, uh, yeah, let's let's go ahead and, and wrap this bad boy up. Uh, we are officially in stoppage time, so it is time for our stoppage time winners. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, keep that, that Saudi train rolling. Um, Al Nasser, uh, obviously the uh, new club of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I know this, again, this is kind of older news, uh, but it, it's just too hilarious to pass up. Um, Al Nasser has bombed out of uh, the Saudi Cup, which is their domestic uh, league cup, and made even more funny uh, by the fact that, you know, Ronaldo's on the pitch. He can't score. Even his own coach is like kind of throwing him under the bus. I know the media sensationalizes it a, a little bit, um, but, you know, even their coach was like, Cristiano had a chance and he blew it. He didn't finish it. Uh, and that changed the whole dynamic of the game. Uh, and so here is, you know, literally the most expensive player of all time who's only brought in there to score goals, not even being able to do it in like the semifinals of the Saudi Arabian Cup, for God's sakes. Uh, and as we said, um, yes, he did finally score his first goal. Uh, it only took him, what, like four games, uh, but obviously only a penalty kick. Uh, and that's the only way that he can score. Um, so he, yeah, he can only score on penalties. Uh, you know, his coach is throwing him under the bus. And so, so pretty much nothing has changed since Manchester United. Oh uh, yeah. And no, it's another funny little addition to that is uh, Luis Gustavo, uh, former Bayern, uh, played a couple places in Germany, Brazilian national, who's there as a defensive midfielder kind of was like quoted as saying something about how uh, having him on the team kind of made it more difficult because now every team that they play is like jacked up to play against him. And it actually makes like, they're like a harder for them to win because like normally like it was almost like these teams like almost roll over for Al Nasser because like they're the big bad team. Right. Right. <laughs> and we'll get our points somewhere else. And now they're like, Oh shit. We like, we want a piece of Ronaldo. And now like all these teams are like literally like William Wallace saying like, they're, right. Like, right. They're weak. And now some like, and then I like Al Kinesi is like, so, you know, having the best game of his life against Ronaldo. Exactly. And then I think he like, he kind of thought about what that was going to sound like. I was like, and of course, like having him is like the greatest thing ever because he makes us better in practice. Like, and like, was like, oh shit, I just said something like, yeah. I, I was like, that's <laughs> fucking great. Like, he's just like, oh yeah, but every day in training, he's great. And, and he's like such a great player. And I was like, oh yeah, dude, this is fucking great. 
Yeah. And, and then uh, uh, Cristiano CR7 Twitter probably dropped a nuclear bomb in his DM. Oh, probably. Yeah. Like his, his life is over. Like his family's been threatened. Like oh he's like, his animals have been kidnapped. It's just <laughs> the, him and the Bay Hive are having like a 24 hour thing right now where like, you know, those two fan bases are just are hot in it. Uh, yes. And that that's another thing. Uh, anyways, we'll, uh, we'll leave that there. Uh, Jared, go ahead. What is your stoppage time winner? Uh, what is my stoppage time winner? I, we should have said this during the Bundesliga thing, but uh, Sebastian Haller got his first goal for Dortmund after uh, his cancer returned. I just wanted to throw that in there quickly. Uh, but again, I, I got a, another American boner uh, weekend, which is uh, Ooh, nice. what we talked about. Uh, Jordan Pifak, a game-winning goal uh, for uh, for Union Berlin in a in a massive match in the in the Bundesliga. Him, Luca De La Torre, finally getting some to Vigo after the break and a couple injuries, and has been showing up pretty good. Had a really, really fucking ridiculous assist on a goal. I uh, would definitely check that highlight out. Just like a, like a kind of a back heel kind of out of the air, uh, you know, really, really cool looking assist. I don't know why he thought that was a good idea to try, but it worked out so good on him. Austin Trusty, center back uh, at Birmingham City on loan, I think from Arsenal or something like random like that. A 97th minute winner off a corner kick. Uh, Birmingham down 3-2 in the 90th, come back and steal that one. Malik Tillman is on fire in uh, Scotland, gets another goal for Rangers. Gio Reyna also for Dortmund scored a goal. Uh, you kind of put that one away as, again, 5-1 game, um, you know, big result for them. And scoring off the bench again. And uh, the aforementioned Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvath, both post clean sheets in their respective leagues. And uh, what do all those guys have in common? Uh, I think combined they played about 50 World Cup minutes for the U.S. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, so So let me get this straight. So pretty much uh, all the guys that Berhalter didn't take uh, are still playing really well. Uh, and then the, even the guys that he did take sucked while they were, you know, in that window uh, or didn't play. And now they're going back to their clubs and playing really well. Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, that's it's a big thing that's happening. And, and by and we could go off for another 20 minutes. But I think the Reina thing is is very instrumental in, in how you get your message across. Uh, because again, Reina is not starting for Dortmund. He's coming off the bench as a super sub. And yet he's not throwing tantrums. And he's not so maybe something about the way the message was conveyed. Uh, again, I, I don't I, Raina still has to handle that better as a, as a professional, but uh, maybe if you, if you say things in a better way, uh, he will still come onto the field as a sub and score goals for you because apparently what's ever happening at Dortmund, uh, that message is getting through in, in a way that is making him successful and the team is successful. So uh, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe something could have gone a little bit better. Maybe. Yeah. One, one could logically deduce that. Uh, although we uh, oftentimes live in a very illogical world. So who knows, who knows, man. Um, but yeah, good shout. Uh, wow. I, I got a little bit of blood flow there, Jared, the Americans are doing. Thank God we have all these really important matches coming up. So oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh God damn it. All right. Well, anyways, um, that'll do it for us. Uh, the referee has pointed to the center circle, put the whistle to their mouth and blown for full time. Uh, that will do it for us to you jared i really appreciate the time the insight and of course the banter uh and to you all the traveling supporters thank you so much for listening and until next time bye bye he's our striker he's on fire Ooh, hot hotter than mitrovich Scoring goals home and away. He's playing from the ticks and he's on fire. Grand talk was a catastrophe. He just wouldn't go away. Oh, and then Will Drake turned it round. Cost us one million pound. Oh, I said Will Drake turned it round. 
cost us one million pounds. Will Greg is on fire? Come on now! Will Greg is on fire?